Tom Hall, VP of Experience at Lonely Planet. Thank you so much for taking the time, good sir, to join me on the Fact Up podcast today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Jim. It's a pleasure. I, I, I did a couple of, well, I did a couple of travel docs for Lonely Planet back in 2008. Uh, and it was, you know, now we would call them vlogs. <laughs> back then, they were not called vlogs. They were called travel docs. Um, so Lonely Planet for me is, has a special, very, a very special place in my heart. So thank you so much. Oh, it's great. Good to hear. Uh, how has the pandemic affected you on a personal and professional level, considering that you're a very busy guy at Lonely Planet and you happen to be a human being at the same time? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been thinking, been thinking about this, obviously. Um, I, I think that um, it, it's probably as close to a total clean slate um, that any of us will ever have on a, prof on a professional and, and, and personal level. Um, and, you know, I, I think that professionally it's been an, an incredible time um in so many ways um you know the, the the idea that you could take something which is the you know the, the juggernaut that is the travel industry and just bring it screeching to a halt all across the world at very short notice um it, it's been breathtaking i mean there will there will be books written about that there should be books written about that and, and films made about that um i think that there are companies all throughout the world of travel who have just pulled off incredible feats to um, get people home, um, to stop their operations, to, to put things into hibernation, to make you know, people changes, etc. Um, and, you know, and within every single one of those cases, there's a personal impact. Um, and, and I suppose for me, the personal impact has been um, really focusing in on, on my family um, and stopping traveling. You know, that's the first time in a, in a long time. Um, I, you know, both, I had personal and professional trips that I'd had to curtail. Um, and, e and even now we've got plans for later in the year that we really hope we're going to be able to take, but we just don't know. And given that, you know, the, the summer season for most people in the Northern Hemisphere is supposed to be revving up now, that's totally unprecedented. So yes, incredible, incredible, incredible. You know, I, I'm going to ask you a little bit later on, but I, I wanted to ask you later, but I'll ask you now. How, do, how does content now change when it comes mm -hmm. to um, accepting pitches from prospective travel writers, people who have now become, uh, you know, have taken up the hobby of travel writing that want to take it professional? Um, how does this change as far as type of content that Lonely Planet produces, or does it change at all? I mean, I, I've heard it said generally that, if you if you want to see the impact of COVID-19, you can describe it broadly as an acceleration of prevailing trends. That, that, is, that is true almost in any case. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if you look at travel content and travel writing, it will accelerate a number of trends that have been with us for some time. Um, the the hyper-local. Tell me about your neighborhood. Tell me about what you know really well that you can walk around your block and you can tell me about the great coffee shops, the great places to eat. Instantaneousness. So, so you know, let me know what's happening right now. Um, and I think every travel content provider simply does not know whether the fantastic content that they've got is still 100% accurate or less so, or where that percentage stops, what that will be today versus in a month's time and the pace at which that happens. So the need for people to know things in real time, um, as well as on a, on a hyper-local basis. And then I think the third point, and this is really where, um, you know, uh, aspiring travel writers have always come from, is 
give me trust, uh, give, you know, give me someone that I can trust and someone that I can be confident in. Um, and I think that anyone who can combine those three across several different formats, and I think that's probably the last thing that comes into this, you can't just write. You need to be credible in video. You need to be credible in social. You need to be able to turn all that around well. You may well be a, a one-person operation or you may be working with a team, but it, it, it's not just about you know, words on paper anymore, um, as lovely as those are. Um, so I think it's accelerated all those things um, and, and will continue to. So maybe it's a bit less of a paradigm shift. Maybe it's more of a you know, speeding up. Where have you found your zen? over the past few months, Tom, <laughs> uh, has it been, has it been, you know, reading articles from people that you've, uh, that you know and love? Has it been, um, uh, watching videos from, from new people that you've discovered? How have you, you know, and that could be totally unrelated to media. How have you found your Zen over the past little while? Um, I normally find my Zen on my bicycle. Um, and you know, one of the things I've been really surprised that has been, how happy I've been with just what I describe as pottering around on my bike, you know, not being a, a super nutcase, you know, trying to, trying to knock off giant miles or anything like that, because those horizons haven't been open to us. But, you know, if, if there has been a mercy in terms of the timing of lockdown, at least and how it's affected the UK, um, it's been over spring and, you know, spring as it's slowly changing um, day by day, because you're slowing down and you're observing this, it's, it's, it's actually quite a mindful um, experience in a lot of ways. And getting out and, and exploring just a little bit near where I live and seeing that has been absolutely um, fantastic. This, the second thing has been looking back a little and looking forward a little. So trips that I've taken that I maybe haven't had a chance to reflect on enough, finishing off some writing. I was very pleased to finish a piece on Thessaloniki um, about a trip that I took there earlier this year. What a wonderful city. Um, and, it, and at the time it passed by in a really quick blur because there was so much else going on. Just, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to think about this a little bit and look back over some pictures and write something. And that had a bit of space, actually. It was very nice to go back over that. Um, and then to think about, um, you know, what we might be doing in the future as a, as a family and, in, and, you know, and indeed individually. Um, I think that's, a, that's been a, a great focus for, for everybody. You know, we're all keen on travel in the whole household. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's been a, a local solution and also a kind of one involving a degree of imagination and, and reflection. You know, I read that article about Thessaloniki and there's, a not, there's not too many people in the West, and this is a very broad generalization. Uh, Thessaloniki is one of those forgotten cities, I feel, or overlooked cities. Uh, but it was, it was a great article. I, I love the ancient walls. But that's another conversation. <laughs> that's another conversation. Now, you've been at Lonely Planet for several years. You know, you've traveled and, and explored on a personal level, even a professional level through the eyes of, you know, um, you know, in words of your own, but, you know, also from others. Um, what's, been, what's been the most rewarding part of your job over the past few years at Lonely Planet? Um, I, I think that Lonely Planet... Uh, has always had um, a strong sense of purpose in in you know and a sense of mission so you know we want to bring the world to people um, you know we'd, we'd like to uh, you know do everything we do with with travelers at the heart of it and we believe that travel if it's practiced responsibly is a is a force for good um, and and I think that that is still true today as as it's ever been 
I think I think the most rewarding part for me has been taking that core mission, which has been expressed very clearly, eloquently, and simply through guidebooks, and putting that into a digital context. Um, I think that there's a challenge in that, in that it immediately takes you from a place where you have a very defined and obvious set of competitors who are probably, you know, broadly um, similar to you in terms of the resources that they have, how they approach it, how they approach exercise, as how they did conduct their business, um, into an environment where you're you're up against a very broad and different set of organisations with actually different priorities. Um, and that I think that Lonely Planet has thrived in that environment, to be honest with you. Um, that, that's been, you know, one of my, um, I think, it's given, it's given me a lot of satisfaction. It's really, it's, it's really been um, a challenging exercise in a lot of ways, but a fascinating one. Because like the development of, um, the development of travel generally, the, the, the growth of digital, digital media, digital travel planning, online travel agencies, etc. Um, that's been one of the totally transformative things for all media organisations and indeed all travel media organisations. Um, and that you have to continue to um, evolve and move quickly as you, as you approach each different challenge and each opportunity that's offered. Um, that's really interesting. Like every, every day is interesting doing that. So yeah, that's probably the, the, the achievement. I think. You know, responsible travel. Uh, I, I feel that that's a, a catchword that's been used often over the past, maybe five years. This, um, this, this reconnection to uh, ensuring that the environment is, is far more uh, taken into consideration when you travel. Do you find that lonely planet has been the, the trailblazer, the trendsetter, for more than three decades <laughs> prior to this, uh, you know, fascinating catchphrase of responsible travel. You feel like Lonely Planet has been ahead of the curve for, for decades already. Well, well I, think that, I think that the early years of Lonely Planet were really characterized by um, a, a sense of independent, on-the-ground um, travel, which is still the very best way to put money directly into the hands of, of you know people who live in a particular destination that was the default way of doing things and, and people who had lonely planet books at that time they did that there wasn't there wasn't another way of doing it if you wanted to go to places and travel in the way that that those people did i think as, as the industry has evolved and realized that for travel to be meaningful beyond being a profitable organization for the people who own those businesses it, it has to engage so so deeply with communities um, that approaching travel in a, in a responsible sustainable ethical whichever terminology you want to put on it um, is just the it, that needs to be a, a starting point for a broader part of the industry so i'm not sure if one's a trailblazer for the other or whether they kind of have come together at a logical point actually one of one of the things that's very important is well-practiced responsible travel holds organizations like Lonely Planet to account mm -hmm. and individuals that work within it to account to make sure that they're um, at, at, the, at the absolute um, 
right point in terms of their understanding of individual issues, specific issues as it relates to content destinations, um, you know, uh, specific approaches, how things are evolving, etc. Um, and that should mean that, you know, ongoing partnerships in those areas um, work for both. Learning Planet's also got a strong reach you know, through its social channels um, and through its, its online audience, which means that it should be able in turn to help amplify messages. The quid pro quo of that is that we need to be on top of them enough to make sure the messages are the right ones, basically. Right, that's right. Over-tourism has been felt uh, throughout the world over the past, uh, I want to say decade at least. Uh, the, the places that are um, impacted by this are, are very well documented. Do you feel that the pandemic has potentially and unintentionally hit the restart button to places that maybe needed to curve the numbers a bit? It, the pandemic has certainly done that. Um, it has, in an extremely brutal way, solved the problem of over-tourism for a very short period of time. I don't believe it's made that problem go away. Um, I don't believe that destinations that were grappling with that problem have really any greater idea of the steps that they might need to take today than they would have done on January the 1st. Let's put that as a date that's out there. Um, I, hope that, I hope that in a few months time, we aren't sitting here saying that it was a missed opportunity to deal with it in certain places. Um, however, it may also be the case that it's understandable that destinations say, well, we don't really need to worry about that for 12 months or 24 months. I understand why you might say that, but I think the correct thing to say is, here's the opportunity to put the infrastructure in place, which means that we, that we don't have this problem ever again. Um, and whether that's looking at the, the impact of cruises coming into you know remote destinations or, or places like venice or something like that um in large numbers um at fixed points in time um or whether that's looking um at some kind of overpopularity of certain destinations for other reasons there's a chance that there is a chance to do things differently um and it, and it is an opportunity right now um i would i would love to think that, that we are, um, we're able to deal with that. And I think information providers have a real role to play in terms of, uh, you know, when people are going back, not just saying, right, hey, great, this is a fantastic time to go to Machu Picchu because there's not many people there. Well, if you say that, then the, the problem will come back quicker. So how about everybody thinks about what integrated approach we might take, which means that that, that isn't the case. Right. You know, over the past uh, few months, a trip to the grocery store has been an adventure for, for most people. Uh, <laughs> do you feel that when things get back to normal, you know, normal people, generally speaking, will travel more responsibly with the environment in mind, uh, with a bit more gratitude when it comes to traveling again? It just feels like people were, you know, booking tickets and, and you know, they had all this disposable income to just, you know, fly on a whim, which is great. But um, the 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 gratitude i feel the immersing yourself in the moment of a destination uh in the moment of a, of a meal um you know was superseded constantly by the selfie stick and the posting on social media do you think a return to uh more um you know 
in tune with the environment, a little bit more gratitude when it comes to travel. Does that make it a return, generally speaking, when things get back to a little bit more normal thing, you know, circumstances? I think, I think one of the things that lots of people said at the height of lockdown, um, assuming that we're past that point now, um, was, you know, I, w I won't take for granted my ability to travel freely. Um, I certainly wouldn't take that for granted in the future. Um, and indeed, whether that means that when you get to particular destinations, your, your experience and your approach to it is different, I would certainly hope so. You know, notwithstanding the comments that we've just made about over tourism, um, I am hugely looking forward to returning to Rome and Istanbul um, and, you know, um, Mumbai and Hong Kong and other places in the world that are very special to me. And, and I hope that the connection that I can have there is a, is a different one, actually, um, in, in that there isn't in the, the, the label of, um, you know, I'm a tourist and I'm arriving, I'm a, I'm, I'm a visitor, I'm visiting you. I don't, I don't quite know. I'm not sure if I'm expressing that quite right, but um, I suppose I have a hope that, that we're, um, you know, we have an understanding that what we've been through leaves us as being one world. Um, and, you know, we, we, make sure that when people are arriving in destinations when they're visiting destinations that they are acting very respectfully that they're approaching things in a, in a way that is empathetic and looking for a genuine connection and then getting that connection in return i think you, that timing is a key part of that you know if, if i go to some places in the uk today that they're not going to be welcoming to me coming into a small a small village in the southwest of england and i understand that and i'm not going and, and I hope when we're told it's safe to do so, that, that that engagement is a positive one on both sides. Those early experiences are actually the ones that are really going to shape, I think, the, the, the pace of this growth, as, as well as how much people actually enjoy it. Because if, you know, going through an airport is going to feel really different, you mm -hmm. know. Um, arriving in a country where you're potentially temperature checked and, and having and various sorts of things, that's going to feel quite different as well. And whether people want to do that when they want to do that with their family, um, that's an unknown thing. I think they probably will. I hope that they will. Um, and I hope that a lot of those measures are as short term as possible. But, but that said, we're, you know, we're learning a heck of a lot about, you know, what happens as people move around and interact with each other. Um, and things are still very unpredictable. So, you know, there's, 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 it's difficult to talk with certainty. It's easier to talk with hopes, but I hope for, uh, you know, positive holidays, if that's the right expression. Absolutely. And I mean, there are many countries in the Caribbean, as you know, you know, uh, you know, over the past couple of days that have now opened their doors. Um, there's, a, a, you know, the Caribbean is largely dependent on uh, American visitors and, and America's numbers keep rising with respect to what the coronavirus is doing in that country. So it's a very fine balance. Um, you also, you mentioned it, you know, people are getting disinfected and sprayed when they, and they enter an aircraft, sometimes when they exit an aircraft, maybe through the airport, uh, flight attendants in full on hazmat suits, uh, you know, in your, in your seat, in your position, uh, with all your years and your insight, um, what does the travel experience look like going forward? Is there anything else that maybe hasn't made mainstream news yet that we should expect to hear about over the next little while, as far as how the travel experience gets impacted, be it entering an airport to uh, perhaps measures that destinations are taking to not increase their own local, local numbers, 
because of an influx of visitors? I think there's two things that have been spoken about as vague concepts, which we will hear much more about. Um, one is air bridges and, and this idea that destinations can pair basically and, and avoid whatever quarantine is put in place. You know, we've started a mandatory 14 day quarantine for arrivals into the UK today. Um, and one of the likely mitigations against that is going to be certain destinations saying, well, we will waive our quarantine for British arrivals and do the same going the other way. Um, I think the second one is the idea of some sort of a health passport. Um, you know, as, as people's, as, as, as more information is known, both about this and other, um, you know, health risks that, that people might be carrying with them, I think the idea that, that health information is carried in some way by individuals as they travel, and that's probably going to be a longer term thing. But um, you know, all of the all of the um, concerns that we have had for a long time about security when flying and travelling, um, and about you know the, the social impact of tourism, um, did nothing but cause the tourism industry to grow at a huge rate. Um, over the past 20 years, health concerns have brought the tourism industry shuddering to a halt within a six-week period um, earlier this year. So I think that gives you an idea of the urgency of the situation. Um, and I think that there's going to be a variety of responses that are political and technical um, and also that are, that are um, you know, in line with the expectations of people that are in destinations. So, yeah, there are some other things to come. For those who uh, want to continue the trend of social and physical distancing when things get back to normal, uh, <laughs> what destinations do you recommend if people are still willing to, to fly to travel? What destinations do you recommend for those who really want that peace and quiet even when things get back to normal? Um, it, it's really early days, um, but I would say that if you're looking at destinations that are opening up, um, I think that it, it's probably places like Greece and Croatia um, that are destinations that have been relatively uh, you know, uh, less impacted uh, by COVID-19 than, than others. Um, they're tentatively opening their doors. Uh, you know, the, the, the Greek islands um, opened to Greek tourists last week, and I think that we would see that pattern continuing for the, for the summer season. Um, we're, we're seeing places that were actually in the headlines for, for being um, you know, badly affected, actually also opening internationally, Italy today, um, you know, without quarantine restrictions. And I think that places where, where lessons have been learned, it isn't necessarily the case that, that I think people will be staying away from destinations like that. I think it's just, just give me the confidence and, and tell me what it's going to be like. Um, they would be three at the moment and, and another place when it is safe to do so that I think lots of people are going to be very interested in going to or back to is New Zealand, um, which is, I mean, yeah, it's a phenomenal country. Um, they've done an incredible job, I think, with, um, with the way that they've handled um, the last few months. Their international representation, uh, reputation is, is very strong and what they have to offer from a tourism perspective is it's, it's astonishing. Um, you know, I had spent six weeks traveling around New Zealand myself a few years ago and didn't even scratch the surface of all the things that there were to do there. Um, and I think Australia is, an, is probably in a similar vein, um, you know, to be, to be thought of in that way. Um, 
looking beyond that, you know, one of Lonely Planet's contributors um, who, was, who lives in Cambodia um, sent through images of Angkor, the temples at Angkor, um, about a month ago. Um, and wow, they were, they were absolutely breathtaking. I'd really encourage people to have a look at Nick Ray's um, pictures there. And Angkor is a place that, you know, it gets a lot of visitors when travel has, has ticked up. Um, and without wishing to contradict myself, you know, prob that probably is somewhere that it would be worth thinking about going back to sooner rather than later. Uh, rapid fire, Tom. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, okay? okay. Uh, take your time. Okay. It's totally real, totally unrehearsed. <laughs> most, <laughs> most inspirational trip you've taken? I was most inspired by traveling to Ethiopia. Um, mm. Incredible country, scenery, people, history, culture, just mind-boggling, full of surprises, wonderful. What have you learned about yourself over the years as it relates to travel? The importance of, of patience and, and the importance of knowing when to be assertive and when to sit back. Is there a place in the world that speaks to you on a culinary level? I ask loaded questions for a reason, Tom. <laughs> France. 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 France, yeah. France. Yeah. 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 Anywhere in France. Food's amazing. <laughs> Dead or alive, one person that you'd sit next to on a journey, be it a plane, a train, a bus, public transit, doesn't matter. Um, Richard Burton, the explorer. Okay. The oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first trip you remember taking? Uh, it has been a, a childhood trip to the Lake District in Northern England. Um, I'm not sure which one because we went there a lot, but um, you know, yeah, climbing, walking, hiking, that's what we did when I was younger. You know, I, I, when I was two, my mom took me to Greece. I don't remember the trip and I'm sure it was horrible for her because <laughs> with very little English, uh, we, we apparently uh, transferred uh, and directed flights to Frankfurt before we had to Athens. <laughs> so I don't wow. remember that, thankfully, but for her, it must have been quite an adventure doing it alone. <laughs> wow. Yes, a two-year-old in tow, I'm sure. Especially me, you have no idea. Adventure, <laughs> adventure travel, Tom, or, or beach bum vacation? Uh, adventure, definitely. I'm, I can't sit still on a beach for more than 15 minutes, I don't think. <laughs> best, the, best vacation you've ever taken, the one that kind of stands out the most? Vacation, not a, person, not a professional trip. Uh, it was a, a, a trip of three years ago with my family to Namibia. We spent three weeks touring Namibia. Um, it was just, yeah, it's a, an amazing place. Everything about it was brilliant. Place you still dream of going to? Himalayas, anywhere in the Himalayas. Not been there yet. Favorite travel related movie? National Lampoon European Vacation. <laughs> surprisingly, surprisingly influential for me. <laughs> That's awesome. Why is it so influential? Because it was this whole idea of touring around Europe where terrible things happened. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, my brother and I did it. We spent one interrail trip trying to go to a lot of the places in that film. You know, trip. I'll tell you what, Walter Mitty, uh, that's a huge movie for me. And it's yes. so underrated. But I'll tell you what, Born Identity, 2004, when they're driving from, uh, you know, the, when they're driving to Paris through the Alps. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and now I'm like, I got to get there, man. That's train or, or what? <laughs> yes. I just got to get there. Is there a place you feel your soul lives? 
where where you go, you feel like you're uh, you're frozen. Your insides kind of melt. That you're speechless. Is there a place like that in the world that speaks to you in in such a deep level like that on a soul level? Uh, there's probably two that I know of. I've been everywhere, um, but um, Istanbul as a city, just the the layers of history are absolutely incredible and um, i've been lucky to go there three times and it, it it's just each time a little more um feels very very special um and the 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 northwest of scotland um you know around isle of sky the isle of mull um and going up further that's um that is a, a unique landscape um and it, you know we don't realize how lucky we are in the uk to have it it's amazing Final question, Tom. What what's next for you? Where do you go from here? Um, I think the I think it's really important that we take what has been an exceptional period of time in society and in all of our lives and hold on to the point that it gives us a, a period of reflection. Um so I can't really give you a straight answer on that in a way. Uh, I think the temptation for everyone is to jump straight back in. Um, I, from a travel perspective, there is, you know, I'm not really looking further than can we get to Denmark in October like we booked to go to. Um, you know, that's the sort of the next, the next trip. Um, from a personal perspective, you know, I would like to continue writing, continue being involved in travel and see where, where to from there. Tom Hall, it, uh, it, it is a pleasure to speak with you. I, I thank you so much for taking the time. Very insightful, um, an amazing conversation. And um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I, I hope that uh, your, you know, your family and your circles continue to stay self, safe uh, and healthy. And I wish you all the best for the future. And uh, sincerely hoping we can keep in touch uh, over the next little while and get updates from you as, as, as time goes along. Jim, thank you. The same to you. Thank you.